So I think we're ready. I have three cards to choose from. So Dane is handing me one and it is this question. How should I change the oil in my car? <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that. That's not exactly a theatrical question. How should I change the oil in my car? Welcome to The Dramatic Difference, a program about story, stage, and the author of creativity. I'm your host, Wayne Scott, founder and president of Lifehouse Productions. On today's episode, we're going to be looking at the men behind the moving and inspirational film, I Can Only Imagine, which came out in March of 2018. They are known as the Irwin Brothers, and they're starting a new production company with a bold vision, and the company is called Kingdom. We're also going to be looking at one of my favorite books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and then answering some of the questions that you've submitted. And I appreciate your joining me. As we're celebrating our 25th season anniversary, I often think back on how far we've come. For example, did you know that we started out as a touring company? Well, this is part of our first segment at Lifehouse, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about the trials of our touring and why we settled on a location to roost in. Well, we began as a touring company because we, frankly, didn't have enough faith to think that we could be in our own facility, that we could acquire such a thing, that we could maintain such a thing, that we'd have enough audiences coming to help sustain anything like that. And so, oh, me of little faith, we began as a touring company. And what we ended up doing was taking one of my very first musicals, Scrooge, which was based on Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and we toured around Southern California with it. Uh, mostly church locations, but a couple of gymnasiums and some other spots that were community-oriented. And it was our way of uh, beginning as a company at all, but also to supplement and complement the ministries of individual churches and other organizations. And we wanted to take this wonderful Christmas story and use it to draw folks to Christ at a time of year at Christmas where they're a little more open to that. So we toured. We rehearsed our production in a rented facility that we had, as kind of a small facility. And we rehearsed there. We, we prepared our costumes there. We stored our props and scenery there. And finally, we launched our tour. And we went to seven cities in seven weeks with the same acting troupe. And they were a great group. As I recall, in 1994, we were... Uh, actually, it was more like... Uh, 93, 94, we were rehearsing and getting ready, and it was sort of a boot camp experience, and we drew closer to one another. We finally launched our tour, and we encountered all kinds of things. You know, seven locations in seven weeks is grueling in and of itself. But we found that uh, we would have what we thought of as sort of a $100 show, but sometimes we'd encounter a 10-cent sound system, or uh, someone behind the controls that didn't really know what they were doing, or rather in inferior lighting. And this was no... Uh, this is not a criticism of any facility or church. It's just what it was at that time. Uh, church drama in many places is still in its infancy, and some places are better equipped than others. And I can't at all criticize any church that needs to spend its dollars on missions or things that are more important than drama, for sure. So nevertheless, this is what we encountered, and we tried to make the best of it. We tried to give the best production we could under the circumstances that we had. We had to crawl before we walked, we also knew the Lord was in it, and we simply wanted to be faithful with whatever door he opened. And we did it. And we got through those seven weeks, but I must confess, we were tired. We were not discouraged, but maybe just a little disillusioned with some of the facilities uh, for all the work that went into it. But wherever we went, I'm pleased to tell you that it was a blessing. We were well-received. We could see God at work in the lives of those who saw the presentation. The pastors were pleased. It met the needs of the individual churches. 
and we were thrilled with all of that. But we got to thinking, hmm, do we really want to do this again in just the same way? <laughs> so we began looking around at the facility that we were in, and this was basically a office mall facility, and we thought, maybe we can paint the walls all black and and use these uh, basic metal chairs that have been donated to us and organize them in a way that could resemble a theater. We've got, we've got a portable stage. Maybe we can make it more permanent. And we really brainstormed, and we thought, let's try this production one more time, only we'll make the last stop our own facility, this uh, rented space. And so that's what we did. And uh, it took a little doing, but within a couple of weeks' time, we had it ready, and we staged our production of A Christmas Carol there in this space that was originally intended only for rehearsal and storage. But we found that we could sell about three nights out of 80 seats. And that was extremely encouraging. And we thought, maybe we can make a full-blown season of it. Maybe we can actually roost here in this spot and make this our headquarters, our resident theater. And that's exactly what happened. And that's, that's how we developed into the theater we are today. It wasn't the plan that we originally devised, but once again, our plans are not God's plans, and we can be thankful for that because his plan is always better. And um, through his direction and through trial and error, that was the method he chose to get us where I think he wanted us all along, and that was to step out in faith and have a resident theater that would be supported not only by ticket sales, but by patrons who caught the vision and underwriters and sponsors who helped bridge the gap between actual uh, costs of running a theater and what uh, ticket prices in that market would bear. So we're very thankful for that lesson and that it all began uh, back in 93, 1994. We became Lifehouse Theater as we know it today. And every time I think back on that, I'm very thankful for God's hand and his providence. He sustains us to this day, and we give him all the credit for the good that happens here. Uh, speaking of good, I would like to tell you about something that I'm very excited about as we move into our second segment, which we call On Culture. And during this segment, we'll talk sometimes about movies, books, special events. Today, I'd like to talk about the Irwin Brothers and their new film studio, which they call Kingdom. And I'm excited about this because I think we've needed this for a long, long time, and I imagine you'll agree as well. The Irwin brothers are filmmakers from Alabama who most recently wrote and directed the famous film now, I Can Only Imagine, which earned more than $80 million at the box office. It was the top grossing independent film of 2018. Roadside Attractions distributed I Can Only Imagine, and it was their highest grossing film of all time, almost doubling the runner-up. Additionally, I Can Only Imagine received good reviews overall. According to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 63% critics rating and a 91% audience rating, which is very good for a faith-based film. In fact, I have seen the film, and I was so impressed that a film of this nature that was so clearly Christian faith-based, with great production values, was so well-received by secular critics. It was really amazing to me. That, to me, was obvious evidence of God's hand on the film, and I found it quite inspirational. Kingdom, explained John Irwin, is a new production company that will, quote, bring multiple filmmakers together to create a pipeline of event movies that proclaim a biblical message and serve the church, unquote. Lionsgate will distribute the films, but Kingdom will own the content. John Irwin likened it to a Christian Pixar or a Christian Marvel. And John continues and explains that Hollywood responds to success. That is the currency in Hollywood. Boy, is he right. Money does talk, like it or not. That's the fallen world we live in, and that's the world in which Hollywood operates. Now, the Irwin brothers plan to start Kingdom for a number of reasons. 
First, they have a desire to impact culture and spread the gospel through movies. Secondly, it will allow them to work on multiple films at a time. And third, there's a lot of competition in the faith-based arena, and that's encouraging too. Uh, but John Irwin hopes that this could shift in the future, uniting those with a similar goal. In fact, John imagines, and I quote again, but what if there was a place where instead of competition, there could be cooperation? And what if there could be a place where many other filmmakers can make their films and have a trusted banner brand that to a Christian audience, if you see this at the front of the film and you know the word kingdom, you know it's going to be representative of your values. I love that way of thinking. In fact, we're sort of, I hope, the theatrical equivalent of that, sort of reclaiming the theatrical arts in a biblical way for biblical uses and for God's hand to be evident. Just last March 27th, at the National Religious Broadcasters Meeting in Anaheim, California, the Irwin brothers announced the first slate of films to be released. And here they are. The first one, envisioned for March 2020, will be called I Still Believe, which will tell the romantic story of a Christian musician, Jeremy Camp, and his first wife, Melissa, who died of cancer tragically in 2001. He wrote his popular song, I Still Believe, after her death. And this will dramatize the story of how that came about. The Irwins will direct it. I can't wait to see it. The next one, slated for 2020, is Jesus Revolution, which will follow the youth-centric Jesus movement of the 1960s and 1970s. And I'm old enough to well remember that time. In fact, a Time magazine cover story dubbed this period as the Jesus Revolution. And John Gunn, who is behind The Case for Christ, will direct it. And Pastor Greg Laurie, right here in our backyard at Harvest, will help produce it. And I'm very excited about that. I happen to know that Greg Laurie was very much uh, part of this time and, and this place and this movement. And a lot of good came out of that through uh, Pastor Laurie, whom I greatly respect and admire. He's having a tremendous impact in our country to this day. Another film slated for 2021 is Apostles, Resurrection of Christ. That's the title, Apostles, Resurrection of Christ, a Bible-based and Band of Brothers type of movie that will tell the stories of the disciples who spread the Christian faith. The Irwins will direct it. The hope is for Apostles to be the first in a series of films about the disciples that uh, would be sort of a Bible cinematic universe. I am extremely excited about that. What better stories to tell than the stories from Scripture? And those of us who have a Christian faith, we know we have the very best stories in the world to tell. And I'm so excited about the Irwin's vision to do that well through the cinematic universe. And finally, they've announced for 2021, The Drummer Boy, a musical produced in association with the Christian band For King and Country. And the Smallbone Brothers will direct it. And that sounds fascinating as well. So these are things that we can really look forward to. And I want to salute the vision and passion of the Irwin brothers, and I pray that the Lord will continue to guide and provide. Now we've come to our third segment, which we call In Christ, and this is a part of the program where we sometimes think a bit devotionally. I'd like to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes for a few moments. This book is very important to me, and it became important when I myself was in seminary. Our uh, seminary president said in a speech once that he made a point of reading Ecclesiastes at least once a month. And that really impressed me. I thought, uh, you know, I was familiar with it, but I, I thought, I haven't studied it in that great a detail. And so I began trying to do that. And for several years, I made a point of trying to read Ecclesiastes once a month. I wish I was uh, 
able to quote it more and, and be more familiar with it for all the reading of it I've done. But uh, I go back to it again and again because it's so deep and so rich. And like so much of the Bible, at different points in your life, it can mean different things and be more meaningful at other times than when it might first appear in your life. And so the same has been true with Ecclesiastes. One of the things that I'd like to point out uh, out of three points in this segment is first, we see that vanity is under the sun. In other words, in chapter 1, verse 14, Solomon writes, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Well, this was written by Solomon, who was reputed to be the wisest man on, who, who walked the earth, uh, next to Jesus Christ, of course. But he was given the great gift of wisdom, which he was uh, seeking. And he had tried everything, he had done everything, and Ecclesiastes, no matter what version you read, is like a wonderful conversation, only you just listen while this great man, this older person, imparts all of the wisdom that he's experienced looking back on his life. He tried it all. He did it all. He had everything at his disposal. And yet he found that everything is vanity under the sun. In Eugene Peterson's rendition of this in his The Message, which is a masterful translation of God's Word, he renders it this way. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. This is very humbling information. <laughs> in fact, this book really helps keep me grounded. It's not the happiest book to read. It's not all air and fun by any means, but it is good for those of us who are in the arts, especially those who act on stage. And that can be a heady experience, but we need to stay you know, anchored to uh, the earth, keep our feet on the ground. And Solomon helps us do that. We need to remember that uh, all that seems new and shiny today will be long forgotten tomorrow. I'm amazed at the number of stars and movies that were so prominent and important as I was growing up are largely unknown today. And I'll talk to some of the younger people of the theater and I'll say, oh, do it like so-and-so in the movies. And they'll say, who? And I remember, oh yes, that's right, it's a new generation. And it's healthy for us to all remember that uh, our lives are in God's hands. They're brief, they're like smoke, as Peterson says in his version of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we'd best remember that uh, a life lived for God is what will really count and be lasting. Secondly, Solomon reminds us to enjoy what is under the sun. In chapter 2, he says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? As I turn to another part of Ecclesiastes that puts this in even more perspective. He says, I tested everything in my search for wisdom. I set out to be wise, but it was beyond me, far beyond me, and deep, oh, so deep. Does anyone ever find it? I concentrated with all my might, studying and exploring and seeking wisdom, the meaning of life. I also wanted to identify evil and stupidity, foolishness and craziness. So that was Solomon's mission in life, and Ecclesiastes is the product of his various observations. And so he says, seize life, eat bread with gusto, drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. It's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. The living at least know something, even if it's only that they're going to die. But the dead know nothing and get nothing. 
They're a minus that no one remembers. Their loves, their hates, yes, even their dreams are long gone. There's not a trace of them left in the affairs of this earth. So remember, each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it, and heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. Oh, what a great rendition of these timeless truths. Sobering, good reminders that it's all under God's watchful eye under the sun. And finally, on a more hopeful note, we are to fear God under the sun. Under the sun is a recurring phrase, and probably the most uh, famous incarnation of that is there's nothing new under the sun. Well, that's recurring throughout Ecclesiastes, and that was uh, several thousand years ago. So if nothing was new then, it sure isn't new now. And uh, he says this at the, uh, at the very end. In fact, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, love God, and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. That is very convicting for me because I know deep in my heart of hearts, I am a fallen, sinful creature. I am so glad there's not a loudspeaker attached to my brain that broadcasts everything I'm thinking, especially when I'm behind a slow driver in Yukaipa. But in any case, God forgives even that, and we would be best off by remembering we are under his watchful eye, and only a life that's lived for him and for his kingdom and for the furtherance of his kingdom and his interests is a life worth living and is ultimately the most fulfilling. I'm excited now to share with you a clip from Ricky Tiki Tavi as we go to one of our commercial breaks. A young mongoose from the pages of the Jungle Book, Ricky Tiki Tavi displays uncommon courage as he pounces to protect the human family he loves from the evil advances of two conniving cobras threatening to strike. So the question is, will his selfless valor be enough to stop the ruthless plot of the deadly snakes? Rudyard Kipling's immortal classic springs to life in this faithful, suspenseful, and inspiring audio dramatization of Ricky Tiki Tavi. Here's a short clip for you to enjoy. A battle of life and death has begun. Cobra venom has invaded the body of a small boy and seeks to conquer and destroy. What do you do when your enemy seems invincible? How can you stand with courage in the shadow of an enemy that seems gigantic? This is the story of Ricky Tiki Tavi's courage when he fought a great war single-handed through the bathrooms of the big bungalow in Sagauli, India. Ricky Tiki Tavi was a mongoose with a cat-like tail and fur, but the face and head of a weasel. He was very small, barely full-grown, but whoever said courage was a matter of size? One day, a high summer flood washed him out of the burrow where he lived and carried him down a roadside ditch. This is the story of what happened after that fateful night. Lifehouse Theater on the Air presents Ricky Tiki Tavi. Pass me another sausage, would you please, Alice? This is good. <laughs> Daddy, don't eat your mashed potatoes so fast. It's a cobra! <gasps> Sit still, Teddy. You mustn't move. Son of the Teddy. big man that killed Nag. Stay still. I am not ready yet. Wait a little. Keep very still, all you three. If you move, I strike. And if you do not move, I strike. Turn around, Nagana. Turn and fight. All in good time. I will settle my account with you presently. 
Look at your humans, Ricky Chicky. They are still and pale. They are afraid. They dare not move. And if you come a step nearer, I swear. I hope you enjoyed that clip from this interesting jungle tale. And if you're interested in this radio drama, you can purchase this volume and many more at theateronthair.com, as well as amazon.com and iTunes. We hope you enjoy those. Now we're going to resume our program with a new segment, one in which we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to call this, That's Okay, I'll Just Improv It. So in this segment, my producer, Dane Bundy, is going to slip me a 3x5 note card with a question on it, asking for advice. And I will not have seen what's on this. So, for example, he might pose the question, what type of song should I pick for an audition? Then I'll proceed to answer this question three different ways. I'll give good advice, bad advice, and terrible advice. So I might say uh, to the question, what type of song should I pick for an audition? The good advice would be, well, you'll want to choose a song that's about 16 bars, typical of a Broadway standard, and hopefully it fits your vocal range. Bad advice, uh, sing a cappella in five different keys. Terrible advice, bring in your kazoo and try to accompany yourself while drinking a glass of water. So I think you get the idea. Now, here's the twist. I won't know what's on the card until Dane passes it to me. So I will be on the spot. But as the segment goes, that's okay. I'll just improv it. But seriously, if it fails, it won't be okay. And I'll be looking for a new producer. No, I'm just kidding. But listeners, start sharpening your resumes because you might be the new producer. No, again, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can do that after the episode. All right. So I think we're ready. I have three cards to choose from. So Dane is handing me one. And it is this question. How should I change the oil in my car? <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that. That's not exactly a theatrical question. How should I change the oil in my car? Uh, my answer is don't. Uh, have a mechanic do it. I don't even dream of doing that. I did not get my talents in the, uh, in the mechanical world. So uh, the question, how should I change the oil in my car? My best advice is don't do it at all. Have somebody who knows what they're doing do it. But secondly, if you know what you're doing, then uh, I would take five cans of oil, juggle it, uh, juggle all five cans if you can, and then uh, get it if you can, and then uh, pour it all into your oil, uh, into your uh, oil tank. That's, that's pretty bad advice. And even worse advice would be just don't, just pay no attention to the oil at all. Your engine can go magically without it. And uh, so that's uh, how this segment works. Let's see if we can do another question. Maybe this one will have something more to do with theater. So, Dane, I, uh, I'm going to take what you're handing me, the next question. And the question is, how do I get a virus off of my computer? Uh, we're having a lot of fun with this segment, aren't we, Producer Dane? Uh, something else I know nothing about. So how do I get a virus off of my computer? Well, uh, the best advice I can give is, again, go to a professional who knows about computers. And there are many in your community. And I imagine if uh, you can find a working computer, you can Google and find a place to take your computer. Um, really bad advice would be to uh, uh, dip your computer in NyQuil to get rid of the, com the computer virus. Uh, that seems to me a way to get rid of any virus is just dip it in liquid NyQuil. And even worse advice would be to uh, find a sledgehammer and just pound it into dust. That should get rid of the virus. I hope I have uh, answered those uh, great questions. I'm not sure this is going to make it to the air, but uh, I'm going to try one last time with this last question and see what might be there. And I'm getting the card now. And the question is, how do you build a house? All right, Dane, um, this, is not, uh, this is not what I pictured at all for this segment. Um, once again, I'm going to leave that to the professionals. 
but we, uh, I'll take this opportunity to talk about the word house. We call ourselves Life House because we want to bring life to the house. And we're based on 1 John 1.1, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, this we proclaim concerning the gospel, the, the word of life. Uh, the disciples saw Jesus and uh, they heard him tell stories, parables to illustrate truth. And that's what we're all about here at Life House. We want to bring life to the house as in, is the house full? Do we have a full house? We hope that the house is always full or as full as it can be. We pray for God to bring the people here that we trust will build the house for each performance. And that's uh, how I'm going to handle that question. But uh, I would leave building an actual house to the professionals because I only, my, my toolbox consists of two kinds of screwdrivers. The, the one I think that's called straight and then the Phillips screwdriver. I have a saw and I have um, a pair of pliers and uh, I can do a lot with those things. Oh, and I have duct tape. But uh, beyond that, I don't have much in my, uh, in my toolkit. Uh, it's amazing what I can do with those. But notice I have no electrical uh, tools. And that's by design because nobody trusts me with them. Well, I guess that was fun. I hope uh, I hope it was. You'll be the judge. Uh, for now, I guess Dane's job is safe. Uh, but uh, speaking of my producer, Dane, he has reached out to you, as you know, through uh, Facebook for one of my favorite parts of the production. Uh, production. Well, I guess this is a production, but for my favorite part of the show, when I get to hear from you. And so our segment here is called From You. And the first question that I have received is, how did the idea for Lifehouse Theater on the Air come about? Were there any growing pains in developing these radio dramas? Well, there certainly were. But uh, originally, we had a very gracious donor come to us who said, we'd like you to grow virtually, if not physically, as a theater company. And so they made a significant donation. And the thought was that we would try to uh, get into uh, film, to export our productions uh, cinematically in some way. But as we researched it, we quickly realized that that takes a great sum of money, more than we had on hand. And so we decided to go into sort of a, a poor man's drama, I guess, by getting into uh, audio drama. And so that's why we turned to the format of audio. And then as we researched it further, we realized it's quite a great art form. And it's been around uh, since the days of radio and probably before that, as people would enact things uh, just through audio means. And the question is, were there any growing pains in developing these radio dramas? Well, yes, because we didn't really know what we were doing. Kind of like the theater itself. We had to teach ourselves how to do it. And we had to crawl before we walked. And we uh, tried to do the most with the funds that we had. We tried to stretch the shekels. So after we did our research, we were able to acquire a what's called a whisper room so that we could do some um, very high quality recordings. A lot of people picture audio drama, I think, as a bunch of actors sitting around a table at a microphone and, and, and sort of playing out what's in the script. And, and it's not done that way at all these days. Um, generally, the voices are recorded one at a time. And I believe animated film voices are done the same way. They're done uh, one at a time. The actor comes in. He, uh, if he's a good actor or she's a good actor, she's going to be able to uh, imagine that the other actors, or the fellow character, are there with them and they're interacting. And then it's the job of an editor to put all of that together in a masterful, seamless final production with sound effects and music that are all added later. But it all starts with the scripts and good writers. And uh, the Lifehouse Writers Group has been instrumental and most helpful in preparing audio scripts. And they're very different from stage scripts. We're not just taking our stage productions and putting them on audio. Uh, that would be a mess because you wouldn't be able to tell as a listener who is who and, and, and what's being said uh, in reference to what. Uh, it all has to be spelled out for you by listening. 
And uh, we're always amazed that when we take a script, it looks good when we're reading it, but then uh, it doesn't make sense if you're just listening to it. So all of that has to be accounted for in the writing. And uh, that's basically uh, how we do it. And we're very blessed by our writers and all of those who participate in Lifehouse Theater on the Air. Another question has been submitted through Facebook by Christy Gutierrez. What is your process on how and why you select the shows for each season? Uh, this is a daunting process, how we put together a season. In fact, we're, we're going through it right now, and we do every spring. We originate most of all of our own productions, and so uh, the way we find out what we should stage in a season is to ask our audience. We conduct audience surveys, now online as well as here in the theater by the filling out of forms. And that tells us a lot of what our audiences are looking for, what they want us to create. And what's beautiful about Lifehouse is we do originate so much and we want to uh, meet the needs of our audience and bring them what they would like to see on stage. We get those on the calendar and typically we'll do eight or nine major productions per season. Those are staged in our weekends, about 180 performances a year. And we just keep going, going, going. We're usually uh, staging the production in progress. We're rehearsing the one that comes after that. And we're often writing the one that comes after that. And that's our cycle here at Lifehouse. We also do something we call Life Tales, which are musical biographies of well-known personages from history, quotable notables. And we'll stage the life stories of George Washington or Ben Franklin, other people of faith and of history. And these are hour-long zippy musicals that school children come in to see here at Lifehouse, usually a couple thousand in one week. And we'll do that twice a year. So that's pretty much our process and how we select our productions. And thank you, Christy, for the question. Another question is, in this day and age, it's hard for us Christians to be in the stage life because some of the things the theater art world may call us to do, something that might hinder our relationship with God, can get in the way. My question is, how can we stay strong in the Lord and be involved with all the obstacles performing arts may throw at us? Well, as I've said in other podcasts, it's very easy to get distracted by all the heady things of theater, the spotlight, the limelight, uh, being in front of other people. So I would say a lot of the success of our spiritual walk can be enhanced in the company we keep. Who do we choose to be around? Are there people that are edifying, who are lifting us up, who are building us up in God's word and in relationship with him? Those are the kinds of people you want to not only gravitate toward, but be for someone else. And I love seeing parents and their children who are involved in the cast, but I like seeing older adults mentoring younger adults who are not necessarily related to them, but unrelated. And um, many of our adults are role models for our young people here. Uh, that is a great way to stay grounded while you're in the arts here at Lifehouse or any theater production. And also, we want to stay grounded in God's word and in prayer with God and re in continued relationship with him. And this is why I turn to Ecclesiastes so often, because I find it very grounding. And then when I uh, get pulled down by the realities of uh, the world as embodied in Solomon's writings in Ecclesiastes, I turn to the Psalms and I turn to uh, the Gospels where there's good news and, and encouragement in uh, Paul's letters as well. So those are the ways I think to address uh, how to stay grounded while being in the theater arts. Another question submitted through Facebook is from Rich Lampy, a good friend and one of our terrific actors on stage. He asks, when you're writing the script for a new show, do you write characters with some of your known talent in mind? Yes, Rich, absolutely we do. Sometimes I can picture a certain actor in a role and it helps writing the dialogue because I can picture how it might be delivered by a particular actor or two or uh, various actresses for that matter. 
And yes, I find that very helpful. It doesn't necessarily mean it's written for that person or that that person will ever get the role. That all depends on the auditions, of course. But uh, I find it helpful as a writer to uh, keep some of the talent that I've worked with in the past in mind. And that's very helpful and it helps bring it to life, hopefully. And finally, I've been asked here, how can I get involved with Lifehouse Theater? What areas are open and who should I reach out to? One of the best ways to connect with us is through our website, lifehousetheater.com, where you can find out all the latest about what's happening at Lifehouse. We have many volunteer opportunities, whether you have an hour to give or two hours a week or maybe three hours a month, whatever it might be, there's a place for you here at Lifehouse. And maybe it's not acting. Maybe you can pull a curtain or maybe you can help build a set or paint the stage or make coffee or uh, help us with accounting or answer phones, whatever it might be. It's 1 Corinthians 12 in action. There is a place for you here, each part of the body contributing to the whole. I think our theater is a great illustration of 1 Corinthians 12, where uh, each part of the body, with God's help, can do something that uh, cannot be accomplished by any one of us, but only through his working can the entire body be edified and uh, productive. So find your place in the theater here. We'll we'll help you with that. We'll try to, it's, it's sort of like casting. We'll try to help fit you into the area that you have some expertise in and hopefully be fulfilled and contributing to what we do here at the theater. But uh, you can call us uh, or you can check out our website and we'll try to uh, get you enfolded into our volunteer pool. And we appreciate all the volunteers that help us. We have very often a dozen a weekend who help us behind the scenes and it might be ushering or it might be helping with concessions. It might be uh, any number of things that can help support the production. There's probably a place for you. So we encourage your involvement and thank you for asking. This wraps up our time on The Dramatic Difference. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, while you're there, please give us a rating. That helps others to find us. And if you really like it, the best thing you can do is to share the podcast with your friends. That's it for today. I'm Wayne Scott for The Dramatic Difference, and I'll look forward to being with you next time. God bless. God bless.